Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being here. We are in James chapter 4, looking at two verses today. Last week we finished the uh, ten imperatives, and James is switching directions here, but not really switching directions. It's just, I think, continuing on into another subject. Uh, it's going to be dealing with words or uh, things that are said, speech. Uh, this is a theme that began in chapter 2, we see it beginning in chapter 3, verse 1, uh, maybe continuing on into this right here. Uh, we've gone through the things uh, where he talked about humbling yourself before God and how you're going to have to you know, judge yourself, repent, go through those stages, and then grieve more and wail, and then just humble yourself after you've submitted to God, resisted Satan. And now he comes back to the community they're living in, and it appears to be a Jewish community that has gone out of Judea, out of Jerusalem, probably to the north into Syria, around 45 A.D. But they are very familiar with the law. He's going to use the term law in here, and I think he's talking about their law, the Old Testament law. Remember, if it's 45 A.D., the New Testament books haven't been written. The gospel story has occurred. There are written accounts. There's verbal accounts. Uh, the truth is there. But when he talks about the law, he's probably talking about something that is used by God to evaluate people. And uh, he's going to be, this is, I don't want to say a confusing chapter, not chapter, uh, verses. It's, it's not confusing, but it's some t it's, there's a counterside to this. And uh, this is going to talk about not judging, not slandering. But then there's also a place, how do you live the Christian life without uh, discerning, which means you're going to have to judge and evaluate and slander would be speaking evil of someone. This would become wrong. But you are going to have to be able to say, uh, if you put two different lifestyles, this is emulating God and his demands, his commands, his image. And this is clearly in rebellion. It's like, well, you shouldn't discern. I mean, you're going to have to discern light from darkness. You're going to have to make some kind of a judgment but then there's a place where this gets into, like, like so many things, you're right, you're right, you're getting close to the middle ground, and also now you've crossed into now, you're actually using a Christian principle in a wrong way, and you're into, well, what James is talking about here. The book of James, as we've seen, is he's trying to help these people, but he's very, very adamant, he's, he's judging them, he's calling out their mistakes, so James is clearly having discerned this group is right, this group is wrong, and you look like you're in the wrong group. I am judging you. He's not slandering them in a sense of, of going behind their back and talking how bad they are and sitting like he's the judge and the commander of it. Uh, but he is definitely writing them and sharing with them some judgment. So if they went with a modern Western Christian principle, they could shoot a letter right back at James. Whoa, 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 brother. Thou shalt not judge lest thou be judged. And uh, God says, do not judge. And here you are, a whole letter of condemnation. You're not very Christ-like. But yet that's, this is in the text of Scripture. He is judging them. He is telling them you're going the wrong way and is calling them back. Uh, I do not think we'd say he's speaking evil about them or slandering them. But he definitely is here. So you see there's that, that fine line. And Christians get hit up with this many times. Is uh, you, you can't judge, just take care of yourself. And there's a truth to that. Uh, Paul even writes, you know, you cannot judge another man's servant. Like if God's called somebody to do certain things. But there are certain things that God's revealed. This is darkness. And if you're over living in pursuing darkness, that's pretty clear to judge that or at least discern that's not the right way. But yet, I think when Paul's talking, uh, you can't judge another man's servant. If God's called me to this ministry, he's called you to this ministry, called another person to this ministry, they're all fulfilling the call of God. Well, I may want everybody to be a Bible teacher. If you're not teaching the Bible, how can you be serving God? Well, okay, this person's serving God. He's called this person to something other than what I am doing. So I can't judge what God's called. It'd be like a basketball team, you know everybody's got a role even you know you got different player role players you got the lead players the, the scores but even on a team you're going to have people that hand out the uniforms they manage the team 
they take care of behind-the-scene events. It's like, well, they're not really uh, part of the team. It's like, well, try to get to the game without a bus. Try to get to the game without an athletic director scheduling the games. It's like, so not everybody's got a uniform is on the free-throw line, but there are many people involved. So you cannot you know, judge another man's servant. That, and that's another topic right there. But yet at the same time, if you know, the bus driver is taking you to the wrong game, uh, and you end up at a hockey rink, and you got basketball uniforms. It's like, okay, uh, well, we don't want to judge another man's servant. No, but he did take us to the wrong location. Uh, we've got a problem. So even in life, there's, I think the key is going to be slander and discerning. We're called to discern. We're not called to slander. Now, that's, that's okay, we're done, okay? You should be discerning, but don't slander people. Okay, we're done here today. Okay, no, we're not. <laughs> Forget that. Oh, I can drag this out for three or four weeks. Here we go. <laughs> so James chapter four. Uh, we've you know we've gone through obviously chapter four verses one through uh, uh, a ten. Chapter four verse one begins. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Then he goes through all of these things. He picks this theme up. Uh, in chapter, after having told them how to humble themselves before God or under God's, uh, chapter 4, verse 11, here's our verses for today. The verses I'm talking about are here in, in the NIV. Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speak, speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you? And again, he adds to it, who are you to judge your neighbor? We would say possibly, and just I would say, but you, who are you? There's only one lawgiver and judge. And you, who are you? Meaning you're, you're nothing. And he, he says in the text here, who are you to judge your neighbor? Now, in those verses, if you look on the notes, probably something that would be helpful to see, at the top of the page, these verses flow like this. As we begin this, and we're just looking at these two verses today, they flow like this. You're going to have the prohibition. I'm going to copy the notes here, make sure I say prohibition. I probably won't even spell it right after I write prohibition. And the prohibition, you can see there, is do not speak evil against one another. Now, we're going to look. You see that right there in the uh, NIV, it was slander. Here it is, do not speak evil or speak evil. We're going to look at the Greek words here in just a moment. But there's, that's the prohibition. Do not speak evil against one another. I will point out as we go by, we'll, I got it in the notes later. You notice what he calls these people today? He calls them brothers. Throughout the whole letter, he's been calling them brothers, uh, referring to them as part of him. He's part of them, us, we, brothers. But those verses in earlier in chapter 4 that we've looked at the last couple of weeks, he's called them uh, adulteresses. He's called them sinners. Uh, he's, he's, he's separated himself from them and says, uh, you know, actually, you know, using judgmental terms for them. But now he comes back and says, brothers putting him back in his camp so there's a little separation that's interesting but anyway the the prohibition do not speak evil against one another now there comes the explanation he's going to explain why do you not speak against one another here's why whoever speaks evil against another or judges another speaks evil against the law and judges the law so if you're now this is interesting if you speak evil or slander someone you're not just slandering them. You're actually setting yourself above the law and judging the law. So here's the person uh, that you're judging. This is you. Well, let's just, let's just make this personal. Me. Here's me right here. And I'm judging this person, but the law is the thing that evaluates this person is being judged by the law. But I am up here judging the law that's judging them. So you're actually, by the, to get to the person, you're going through the law, and you're sitting above the law, or I'm sitting above the law. When I start judging and handing out evaluations, that's, see right here, that's not your position. The law judges those persons. Now watch, this may be the simple, right here, it, it, right here, early on, 
you're, if you judge this person, why, should, why is there a prohibition? The explanation, because when you're judging this person, you're actually judging the law. You're putting yourself here. Now, if we were to make this very simple right here, once again, just want to end class quickly. You should be here with the law or yourself here, and the law is judging you, and you're discerning through the law. You're not judging you're, not, you're being judged by the law. The same law that judges this person is judging me. But now, with being under the law or understanding the law, you're evaluating this person in light of the law. You're not sitting up here. And that would be, this would be, in a sense, I'm not sure how to draw this little chart right here. I'd have to think about it. I'm just making it up. But you're, you're discerning. You're, 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 you're under the law, and you're seeing everything in, the, in life under the light of the law, and so now you are discerning. If you put yourself up here, and now you're making, you become a law, well, Paul talks about it in Romans 1, uh, they've become a law unto themselves. I am going to become a law unto myself, and I'm actually judging law because we need to do a little more evaluation. We're going to get a little more tighter than this. Anyway, there, that's the explanation. Uh, this will help out. Whoever speaks evil against another person or judges another speaks evil against the law and judges the law. Now, this next part is going to be a clarification. It's going to be a repeat of this, but it's like, did you understand that? No. Give me more details. This is repeat with clarification, the explanation of the prohibition. So in other words, what we just explained about the prohibition, we're going to clarify the explanation about the prohibition with this, because if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Again, here's the law. What should we be? We should be doers of the law we should be under the law but if you're going to go up here and judge this person you're not again again there's going to be discernment you're doing a doer i'm i'm following the light this person yes or no parts of you know whatever or situations but if you go up here and you're up here i'll put me up here again i'm up here i'm now establishing the law i'm no longer a doer of the law i'm up here establishing the law so that, that's the explanation of, of that previous point. If you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. If you are up here judging the law, again, the explanation. If you judge the person, slander, speak evil, you're judging the law. You're up here. And if you up here, you're judging the law. Well, what do you mean? Well, you're supposed to be a doer of the law. You're supposed to be knowing the law, hearing the law, what's right, what's wrong, discerning, okay, I'm doing it. You're judging yourself, and by judging yourself, you're going to see situations around you. But if you're not a doer, you're back up here. Then the next one, the reasoning for the prohibition, why? Why is this, why is this prohibition that you just explained and clarified? Why can't I be up here, and why do I got to be down here? Well, I mean, it's pretty obvious. The reason? There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and destroy. There's already the lawgiver. Who is the lawgiver? The Lord. If you want to say Yahweh, if you want to say Jesus, we would say God. Or the Lord is the lawgiver and he is the judge. He is above the law. Uh, there's only one lawgiver and judge uh, and he is the one who can save and destroy he not only gives the law judges the law he will enforce it he will save you or he'll destroy you and that's what the word means destroy utter destruction it's not punish it's not put in jail it's like you're dead you're eliminated he is the one who can save or destroy and then here comes the the, the rhetorical question so who then are you who judges your neighbor so it's like, this, this guy's already in position. He's already given the law. This law is already judging these people. And the Lord is using the law to judge them. And he will use it, and he will save, and he'll destroy. You're supposed to be, a, you're under here. So now you're here. What? You don't make laws. You don't enforce laws. You can't save. You can't, you are a zero in this equation. The Lord is the creator. He established the law. He will then deliver, save. He'll then destroy those who disobey. He'll be the giver and the, and the judge. And you, you're running around slandering people. You're running around, you're, in a sense, you're over here. And we can even say this. You're over here. Here's me. 
and here's my wishes, my, my perspective, and this is you down here, and my, this is me making my wishes. Here's what I would like to happen, and I'm judging you. You're not doing what I wish. And it's like, now we got two different standards. You're, you, me, you're supposed to be over here, a doer, not over here with your own little slanderous accusations. In other words, these, these people are possibly completely outside the law. Again, I would think if you are evaluating life through the Word of God, through the truth, that's what God has called you. We'll look at some verses. But if you've separated yourself from the truth, from the Word of God, and you've just got your own personal agenda, this is what I like, this is my, my personal preference, and this person made me feel bad, well, they made, did they do something wrong or not? It's like, it's like, well, they just didn't treat me the way I wanted to be treated. They didn't say something the way I wanted. They're trying to take my position. One commentator is real big throughout this whole book. It's a, it's a, he's a good commentator. He does a good job. Um, but he thinks this whole book is about teachers in the church, in this community. At this, that there's, because he had said earlier here, not many of you should presume to be teachers because you'll be judged more strictly. In other words, basically, we got too many people talking. You need to start following directions. And so he's talking here to the teachers. They're all running around teaching their own opinions. And again, you can imagine that. There's no new test to see like us. It's easy to judge a teacher today. Uh, it's easier because you've got a text here. This is what we're teaching. It's like, it's right here. Where in these days, uh, you had the Old Testament, you had the coming of the gospel, and now you're trying to explain and apply this message of the gospel of jesus christ to this jewish community that have become believers and the apostle paul is just coming on the scene just his persecution has just stopped he's just coming into the faith and so there's probably this commentator there's a lot of people teaching and explaining it uh establishing their own prerogatives wanting to go their own directions and of course they're slandering each other they're trying to gain their they're biting and devouring each other and that would be one way of looking at it i don't want to put this whole book and again maybe you should but that's one guy sells his whole commentary it's a very excellent commentary but from beginning to end this is addressed to the teachers who are messing up the church um i it tends to seem to be more general i think but that's that's that idea so that's what's taking place right there uh, and that's an easier way to understand this. Now, uh, going through this uh, on, on the NI, or English Standard Version on the notes, uh, I'm going to read now the English Standard, chapter 4, verse 11. Here it says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Now, you can see right within there, you've got the prohibition, the explanation, and the clarification all in that one verse, if you go back with that little outline we started with. Now, one thing that's interesting um, is the word speak evil or speak against, also slander. If you look at point two, speak against or slander comes from, and you can see the Greek word, there, it's the second Greek word in, uh, in, in, in the little box above in the Greek translation. Uh, it is from the, the, it's the verb, kat el el eo. So, and you've got a pronunciation right there. Kat el el eo. And it means to speak evil of, and it's translated, I speak evil of, I rail at. There's a little insight. I rail at, and I slander. So you can see that's a little more than I'm evaluating, I'm discerning, I'm slandering this person, but it's a slander would come from my own personal perspective. I'm not evaluating, you know, in light of the Word of God. And of course, you understand, we're looking at a culture right now that demands that you discern. If you're going to walk in the light, you're going to have to discern. I mean, we start this way. If you're going to go to church, you're gonna, you should be in church you should be in in a group of community of believers in the word in jesus christ that are growing in faith so you're going to choose well it doesn't matter there's all kinds of churches there you before you even join a, a christian church or join a group you're going to have to discern 
and again, we, we know, even within their groups, they're splitting because they're coming up with different perspectives on, on what's going on in our culture, if it be the transgender, if it be, you know, you could go back to war. I mean, they were splitting during the Civil War. There's, their, their churches are going to make have opinions on social issues. And that's just in our own culture. You can go back throughout history. Uh, the Greek Orthodox Church and the Roman Church began to split early on in the iconoclastic uh, division. If you remember, we talked about this a long time ago in church history of artwork where the, some wanted to pursue and keep artwork, statues, maybe they'd be holy, or paintings that they would re- reflect something. And they'd even consider them holy. They're, they're, not, they're more than just a, a piece of art. They're, they're a connection to God. And that can become in a form of a closer worship. Some, the, the, the iconoclasts were the ones that went around and they destroyed images. They did not want paintings, did not want statues, no image, no idolatry, no idols in our churches. We're going to be spiritual. Anytime you bring in a statue or a painting, and so they became, there was a division on were you going to have statues and paintings or were you going to say, absolutely not, because once you have statues and painting, a statue looks like Christ, or a statue of one of the saints, it's like, well, I just want to, always, whenever I leave, I always touch it for good luck. I touch it for a blessing. Or if you look at it and pray, or you burn a candle to it, it's like, also now you're into some worship. And they said, no, 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 this is going the wrong way. I mean, this is not, this is not American culture. This is way back, you know, in the early church. So, I mean, there's always been these decisions you have to make, and we have to be able to discern. So, again, there's a difference between the speaking evil against, and there it is, that word. It means to slander, is point two. It means to slander. It is used three times in chapter 4, verse 11. Uh, and it is used one time. Uh, I'm looking here. Where am I at? Uh, one time, I think. Maybe just, yeah, okay. Maybe just three times in chapter 4, verse 11. So here we go. You can see it right here. Uh, as you read the Greek with me, I mean, we're just going to read the English, but you can see the word above it. Not speak against, there's that slander, one another, brothers, the one slander speaks against, there's the second use of it, his brother, or judging the brother. So there it comes with judging and slander put together, uh, his brother of him, again, speaks against, there's the third time, and it's all in the same line there in the Greek. Uh, the law and judges the law. So they're slandering and judging the law. If, however, the law you judge not, you have, you're not a doer uh, of the law, but a judge. So you can see that word slander or speak against is used three times there. Uh, it's a verb used by Paul. I'm going to go ahead and do this right here. We're going to go through several New Testament chat verses, so just have your Bibles ready. Uh, this is going to be no... No, like, simple order. It's not, we're going to go back and forth. But this word is used by Paul in Romans chapter 1, verse 30. Um, and again, it's in a list of sins. And in, in chapter 1 uh, of Romans, Paul's introducing himself, introducing the gospel to the Romans. Uh, they're already believers, but he's introducing his position. So he's kind of, it's almost like, like I've said before, it's like his, his resume, his application. He's writing a letter saying, this is what I believe. We're on the same page so that he can come and assist them, and they assist him in ministry. But in chapter 1 of Romans, verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against the, all the godless and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Uh, now, this right here would be a classic case. If you are going to, this, this is helpful, I think, if you cannot judge, uh, you can't, you, meaning you can't discern what's right and wrong, then you can't read chapter 1, verse 18 to the end of this chapter. You're going to have to just say, well, Paul's really out of line right here because he's saying the wrath of God is being revealed. Now, the key right there is the wrath of God is being revealed, not the wrath of the apostle Paul. Paul has placed himself under the law or under God and is trying to be a doer of the law, a doer of the word, uh, so the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So there's a judgment right there. They're suppressing the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. 
So now he's drawn a line. These people have rejected God. Now, it's not that they can't see or understand God. It's that God, they, that they suppress the truth. They won't look at it. They're making their own truth. So Paul's, in a sense, judging them, but actually discerning. He's not speaking evil against them, but he is telling you where they're at. So again, where's that fine line? For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. So when people perish, this, this helps. When people perish, they have no excuse. It's like, well, no one did this for them, or no one did that for them. It's like, well, if you feel that way, then you need to go do that for them. You need to get involved if you feel something like that. But in the end, when it's all said and done, they're not going to be able to stand in front of God and say, well, that person didn't do something for me. No one came and helped me. It's like, no, you are all accountable to God alone in the end. For although they knew God, in other words, right here, everyone knows God, but they decide to suppress that knowledge and neither glorify Him as God nor give thanks to Him. In other words, when they meet God, here's the difference. You meet God, you meet His standard, like we just got done reading, you submit to God and start learning about Him and you start walking in His ways. Where here, I mean, that becomes your standard of, of behavior, your standard of evaluation. But if you meet God or you know He's there and you do not glorify Him as God, you're going to have to come with us up with a standard. You're going to have to have some form of evaluating life. You're not just going to float through life like a butterfly. It doesn't matter. You're going to have to, it'll be, naturally, you're going to have to evaluate which is the right way to go? What is the right choice? What is right and what is wrong? Well, now you're going to become, like Paul's going to say, a law unto yourself. And you're going to make up your own law. So here we go, verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God and gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And again, they're going to be now judging the world, judging everyone, judging Christians under the law, under God, they're going to be judging them from their position, looking over saying, well, that's not right, because we're living in darkness, and you're living in light, you're doing something wrong. And right here, uh, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God. So you could say right there, the glory or the law, the light, the truth of the immortal God, for images made to look like mortal man, birds, animals, and reptiles. In other words, instead of following the law, the word, the light of God, they're, ah, and now they're going to follow the law, the light, the darkness, the direction of just natural man over here, and whatever they're doing, whatever their desires are, that must be right. Okay, therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to, and what's going to happen over here, Paul says, uh, their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another, and they exchange the truth of God for a lie. So you've got the truth of God, which we're trying to pursue. They exchange that for a lie, but now that lie now is going to become their standard of evaluation, and they're going to look over here, and they're going to judge those who are walking in the truth as being evil. This is Isaiah, Jeremiah, Isaiah. Dark, they exchange... For, for good becomes evil, light becomes darkness. And we are there in our culture. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, men abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. In other words, the, that, that's, just, that's like the last level of the entire structural breakdown of humanity, society that God established. This is where it ends up. I mean, this is like the last phase of the fourth generation. It's like, You've deconstructed the family, you've deconstructed nations, you've deconstructed law and order, you've deconstructed, you've even deconstructed sexuality. I mean, it's like, because you're over here making a law unto yourself. Um, uh, men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done, they have become, and now here's that word is going to pop up, the word, you know, speaking evil or slander, but it's listed with a whole, this is, this is them over here. 
Now, when a Christian becomes, speaks evil and puts themselves over the law, they are putting themselves in this camp in this particular area. Instead of being in the light and evaluating things from the light of the Word of God themselves and their world, they, in a particular case, say, no, I'm going to come over here, build my own structure, this is what I think, and now I'm going to speak evil or slander you because you don't match my standards here. Well, wait a minute, you've just placed yourself at the top of the list, creating your own law. And that's, that's where the pagans go, and these readers of James have gone there. Now, again, we can all go there. We've all judged or slandered somebody because they don't meet our standard. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, dep- depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, ah, slanders, there's your word, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. So right there in that list, if you would be a slanderer, or if I am a slanderer, I would also be a gossip, a God-hater, because I'm no longer following God's law. I've got my own law, so I hate God. Insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents, which is part of natural order. They are senseless and the beginning of lawlessness. Once you lose law and order, which we're we're, we're teetering on that. In fact, some neighborhoods uh, are in that already. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree, because it's natural, God has revealed, that those who do such things deserve death. They Watch this. They not only continue to do these very things, here's, here's, the, here's where we're at, but also approve of those who practice them. Not only do they want to do it, they are evangelists in the sense of you need to join us and approve of those who are also lawless, slanders, have made a law for themselves and are against God. And that begins almost like, you know, you evangelize and draw people to Christ. They're evangelizing and approving of those who are living this way. Although if you can imagine living in a society like that where everyone is a law unto themselves, it's not just they're going to be ruthless, against people walking in the truth or christians they're going to be ruthless to everyone including each other i mean there's no and james problem is right here now in the church that james is writing to they are slandering each other they're speaking evil they're almost at the place where this pagan culture ends up where you bite and devour paul writes about that biting into if in philippians be careful if you continue to to destroy speak against each other you're going to destroy or bite and devour each other. Okay, that's that first reference, Romans. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians 12, verse uh, 20. Uh, Paul is, again, having trouble with the Corinthian church. He's written them couple of letters already we've got two of them there was four total letters written uh this letter right now the church has been met with titus they've made a comeback and they've accepted paul again but there are some false teachers in the corinthian church yet that are that are trying to separate the believers from paul and paul is saying wait don't now this paul is writing them saying don't trust these people they're giving you false information they're using you for political financial power gain they're not giving you the truth. And so he, he, that's what he's talking about. And, and, and they're having visions and false dreams, and they got false teaching. So Paul's trying to tell them that, that he can, is concerned for them. I'm just going to jump into chapter 12, verse 19. Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? We have been speaking in the, in the sight of God and those in Christ, and everything we do, dear friends, is for your strengthening meaning I'm doing this because I'm trying to help you. I'm telling you that's the wrong way, not because I want to divide you or destroy you, but because I, I want you to walk in the light. For I am afraid that when I come, meaning I'm afraid that when I get there, you will have fallen back into pagan ways, that I may not find you as I want you to be, and you may not find me as you want me to be. For example, he's walking in the light. They've drifted off into this paganism. He says, now I want you to come back so when I come and I see you that we'll both be in the light. Right now, I'm afraid, just like James would be afraid, that when I get there and we meet, 
we're going to have two different worldviews. You're following the false teachers, and I'm trying to continue to follow Christ and lead you into Christ. Or, as we said in Romans, approve of those who do. Just like these people approve of those who follow them in the darkness, Paul wants them to follow him in Christ. So he says, I fear that there may be, and I mean, oh, let me go back and begin in verse 20. For I am afraid that when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be, and, find, and you may not find me as you want me to be. I fear that there may be quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, factions, slander. There it is. Gossip, arrogance, and disorder. Now, I would assume that James is writing to a church right here who sees those very things. Definitely slander, but there's going to be gossip, there's going to be arrogance, humble yourselves under God, outbursts of anger, they're talking about murder, James is talking about murder, there's going to be quarreling, jealousy, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Isn't you don't get what you want? Well, that's quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, factions, slander, gossip, arrogance, and of course, disorder. I mean, it's just, just chaos because Everyone's got their own agenda. They've got their own law. In Christ, supposedly, there would be order. You come in here, here's what he's requiring. We're all walking light. And as we mature and grow, there's going to be structure. There's going to be order. We've got clear goals. I'm afraid that when I come again, my God will humble me before you, and I will be grieved. In other words, I will see what I've built, and me, the great apostle, now, he's not saying it exactly like this, but he will be humbled. His idea is, I've been putting my time and effort. This is the... the, the the, the fourth letter he's writing here to him, and uh, I'll be humbled, meaning all the work that I've done. It, it'd be like a, a teacher at school, ha, if you teach math, and then they have standardized tests come through, and you got your to work you know, all year with your children. Now comes the standardized test from the state, and they take them, and you get the results, and the teachers, the results are poor. And now the teacher is humble because well, they failed. And Paul's in the same situation. He isn't losing his salvation. He's not failed before God. But I've, I failed in my mission as an apostle to bring you to Christ. And so now, well, I'm an apostle, but not a very good one. Well, Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet, but not a very good one. I mean, if you look at his results. Because the whole nation, he, they had three captivities. The whole time he was there talking, before it even began, he began talking for 20 years before it began. And he was there the whole time. It's kind of like, Talk about a loser, a, a, a prophet, Jeremiah. I mean, he, he writes all the warnings, and then he writes the book of Lamentation where he just cries because all of his warnings came to pass. It's like, well, you're not very good at what you do. I know. Well, Paul's afraid of that same thing, that he's going to be humbled. Uh, I'm afraid that when I come, to my, come again, my God will humble me before you, and I will be grieved over many who have sinned earlier and have not repented of their impurity, sexual sin, and debauchery in which they have indulged. Can you imagine? That's the church. He's not talking about the newcomers. He's not talking about their society. He's talking about, I'm coming back to this group of people that this is, this is who you are. So in other words, there's another thing. He's afraid there's going to be slander in the church. Peter uses this word. If you want to look at Peter, 2 Peter, or go to 1 Peter. I've got to move on here. But this is a basic feature of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, uh, of... Uh, what we'd say darkness is is the slander of speaking against each other judging each other by your own standard instead of following the law of god first peter chapter 2 verse 1 uh peter says a very similar thing as paul and james are saying therefore rid yourself of all malice and all deceit hypocrisy envy slander of every kind evil speech of every kind and like newborn babes, crave the pure spiritual milk. So get rid of this and begin to desire the word of God. So that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Meaning right here, if you don't have the milk of the word of God, if you don't have the truth, you're going to drift right over here into this own paganism, this own general worldly situation. Uh, but if you'll come, rid yourself of this. In other words, resist the devil, draw near to God, he'll draw near to you and you'll begin to grow. We can continue looking at that list there, 1 Peter 2.12. Um, a point, Miriam and Aaron did this to Moses. If we go to Numbers chapter 12, this is an example of slander or evil speech. Uh, if we go look at that story, Moses was called to be a prophet. Uh, he was called to do this work of prophet. He was called to do this work of God. 
uh, and he was executing it. He was leading the people. He was calling the plagues. He was the leader appointed by God. God called Moses. Well, Miriam and Aaron, his brother and sister, uh, they decided that, you know, why is he special? I mean, we all are special. Let's just read, and this would be an example of slander. Uh, chapter 12 of Numbers. I think we can do this quickly here. Because you can see the attitude. And this, is, this would be an attitude that would lead to slander or evil speech. And this is in the church of James. They're, they're, uh, they, they're fighting, they're quarreling, murdering because they don't have what they want. They're coveting. And when they do, because they don't have it because they don't pray, James says. And then when you do pray, you don't get it because you're asking God to help you over here in darkness. I want these advantages. And God says, I'm not going to help you live in darkness. And so now we come to Numbers chapter 12, verse 1 through 8. Miriam and Aaron, chapter 12, verse 1 of Numbers. Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife. For he had married a Cushite. This has the Lord spoken. Now watch this. Here's what they say. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, in this case, yeah. I mean, he wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Yes. They asked, hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. Now, this question about the Cushite wife uh, is 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 interesting it, it's we could talk about that uh, it, it's 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 confusing but it's not confusing it appears that is one of his is if you want to talk about his his first wife that he married in uh uh midian uh came back and she went back to live with her father uh and and that's another whole story we go through it involved the whole circumcision routine and her two sons the whole situation and it appears that she left and, and jethro came out and tried to reconcile the marriage it appears also that he had married someone else, if you want to call her the Midian wife, the Cushite wife, which is not correct because Cush is another direction. Uh, this is another group of people. Uh, it may be a second wife. It, it, you know, it's like we can talk about these things at another point. But nonetheless, they didn't like the fact that he had married this Cushite woman, and so now they're coming against him. And they speak, the point here is they're speaking against him, and what they're saying is, uh, has, has God only spoken through Moses? Hasn't he spoken through us also? So that's what, that's what God is doing. But we've got this standard over here. And I think we should all have the same thing. We should all get to be like Moses. We should all have our turn in leadership, like a kindergarten leader of the line or something like that. Now, verse 3, this is an interesting verse right here. It's in parentheses. Now, Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Now, Again, that's a funny verse because Moses is writing this, and it would be true because, again, humble doesn't mean I'm not going to be honest. Humble means I've, I've humbled myself under God. I'm doing this. I've given up these things. I'm not self-centered. If Moses was self-centered, he would be sitting on the throne of Egypt at this time as Pharaoh. I mean, you can read that throughout history. He was in that position. He walked away and followed God because of the people of Israel. So he humbled himself under God's mighty hand, and God began to use him. Now, if Moses wrote that, it's a true statement. This would be possibly an, an, an example of editing being done, not changing the Scripture, but someone coming back after this was all done and explaining what was going on here. Uh, sometimes you can see that in the names of locations, and people make the mistake of trying to date, like they try to date the book of Exodus because of the city of Ramses, the slaves were working in Ramses, and Ramses wasn't around until the 1200s, and so the Exodus couldn't have taken place until 14, uh, in 1440, like I would like to suggest, and many, many, many people do, because they would have known to write Ramses. Well, if it took place back here in 1400, at, and did take place, Ramses is over the top of Avaris, which is an ancient city where Goshen was, where Joseph and his people settled, and then Ramses was built over it. So when they were reading it, it would make more sense to the people of 1000 BC or 800, or even the exiles coming back from Babylon. It's like Avaris, it's like, where's that? Ramses. They're at Ramses. So it'd be like no different than us updating locations. We used to call this place something in the 1800s you know, little, well, Valley Junction. Go to school at Valley Junction. Valley Junction, what? Valley High School. 
Oh, yeah, biggest school in the state. But you don't know Valley Junction. It's, it, it's, just, it's just the same place, but you'd update it, you know. So some people say they graduated from Valley. Well, you didn't graduate from Valley. You graduated from over in Valley Junction, the old school, and it gives completely different perspective. It was a smaller school, not the 2023 large school, all the facilities. And so if you said they graduated from Valley, you'd say, well, that doesn't make sense. Okay, you understand what I'm saying. I could go on and give examples. Okay, at once, the Lord heard this. At once, the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you. Now this, boy, things would be different if God dealt with situations. I mean, just like, let's just take care of it now. It's like, because we have murmuring and stuff going on. It can go on your entire life. I mean, you can, you can murmur and slander and live in your own reality your entire life, and then this happens. But in this case right here, Aaron, Miriam and Aaron and Moses, because Moses, Miriam and Aaron are speaking against Moses, saying, aren't we just like Moses? God says, come here, kids. Come out to the tent of meeting, or the tabernacle, all three of you. So the three of them came out. The Lord came down in a pillar of cloud. He stood at the entrance of the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam. Now Moses would go into the tent and meet with God. Or in this case, he called them all out, and all three were standing in front of it. But God, instead of being in the, in the, where the Ark of the Covenant was, he comes out from the holy, most holy place, walks through the holy place, the candle stand, the table of showbread, past the altar of incense, comes out and stands in the front door of the tabernacle, where, out in, you know, by where the bronze basin and burnt altar are, and says, Aaron, Moses, or Miriam and Aaron, come here. And so you've got the pillar of fire, the Lord himself standing there. Then the Lord came out in the pillar of cloud. He stood at the entrance of the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam. When both of them stepped forward, he said, listen to my words. <laughs> this, is the, now again, if you, this is not like being sung or poetic. or like, This is the thundering of the pillar of fire standing in front of the tabernacle, talking to these two who have slandered Moses. Listen to my words. When a prophet of the Lord is among you, I reveal myself to him in visions. I speak to him in dreams. But this is not true for my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak face to face, which means Moses has, and we can read it, has gone into the tent of meeting and has been there and talked to God in the holy place. I mean, he's there getting directions and instructions. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then are you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Right there. Why then are you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? That would be slander. That would be speak evil of. In other words, you're putting yourself, I am doing this is me. This is my law. This is how I do things. This is how I interact with Moses. You come over here and make your own standard. We all get to talk to God the same way Moses does. And God says, absolutely not. You don't even know what you're talking about. The anger of the Lord, now he didn't just give them a little bit of advice. He chews them out and says, this is how far off base you are. The anger of the Lord burned against them and he left them. So he goes back into the tabernacle. When the cloud lifted from above the tent, there stood Miriam, leprous like snow. Aaron turned toward her and saw that she had leprosy. Now, why did Aaron not get leprosy? Because he was the high priest. He was in the right place. He, was, he could go into the most holy place and offer the sacrifices. Miriam was complete. Moses is the prophet. Aaron's the high priest. Miriam is like, why does everybody else get a special position? And so right here, she was leprous like snow. Aaron turned toward her and saw that she had leprosy. And he said to Moses, please, my Lord, do not hold against us this sin we have so foolishly committed. Do not let her be like a stillborn infant coming from its mother's womb with its flesh half eaten away. So in other words, her case wasn't just like a little flake here. Like her, he was saying her flesh is half eaten away. I mean, it would, if we go with that, it's like it is already at level four stages of leprosy. So Moses cried out to the Lord, O oh Lord, please heal her. The Lord replied to Moses, If her father had spit in her face, would she not have been in disgrace for seven days? And so he says, he's a healer. And, and the Lord's answer is, I'll heal her, but she's still a disgrace. He says, if a father in your camp had spit in his daughter's face, would she not be unclean for seven days? Confine her outside the camp for seven days. After that, she can be brought back. So in other words, what he's saying, he says, basically, 
as the, as, if that was my daughter, I just spit in her face. I just gave her leprosy and ate half her flesh away. He says, yeah, okay, I'll heal her, but she's unclean. She's got to be outside the camp for seven days. That is God responding to Moses and or Miriam and Aaron for slandering Moses the prophet, which is interesting. Okay, uh, we could go on. The whole generation talks about that. They, they did the same thing. They slandered God. They, they made their own standard, and they slandered God in the wilderness. Um, you can see on these, these words, judging and judges comes from the word krinon, which means to judge or decide. I mean, if you're the judge, you're making the decision on what's right and wrong. Uh, and, and then the word doer is poietis, which means a maker or a doer, and it's translated as to decide uh, or describe a maker of poetry. So instead of being a doer of the law, or instead of being a, a judge of the law, you're supposed to be a doer. And that doer is described that a poet would write poetry or a performer would perform the task, uh, carries out the task. Now, the last verse, chapter 4, verse 12, there's only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Now, again, the lawgiver and judge is God. We've already established that. We, we're kind of reviewing this, but I want to make a couple more points here before we're done. The Lord is the judge. He is both the lawgiver, and that word lawgiver is also a legislator. It means the lawgiver and judge, which also means, you know, the ruler. And so he makes the laws. He then judges and enforces the law, and he is the only one. Now, you do not want to enter that box and put me here. Miriam, in a sense, put herself there, and God spit in her face or gave her leprosy. James is saying, and who are you? He ends, ends this whole court with a rhetorical, who are you? Miriam, who are you to come in here and say, well, this is the way I would do it. If I was God, this is what I would do. Well, there's only one God, and that's not the way he does it. Your job is to be out here a doer. You're going to have to humble yourself before God, understand what he wants you to do, and then execute it. You're going to have to do the law. Now, before we leave this, I do want to use some passages of Scripture here. Uh, going down there, those last notes, lawgiver tells you where that word comes from. Oh, uh, the parable of the wheat and the weeds. I don't have time to read the whole thing, but you know there's a, a, the, the, the farmer sowed the wheat, and in the night an enemy came by and sowed the weeds. The tendency was, when they saw that, they started growing, shall we go pull up the weeds? And the Lord's answer was, and this is, this is interesting, let them both grow until the end, and then I'll send my angels out for the harvest, and we'll separate them. So one of the things that is pointed out there is when you see Romans chapter 1 taking place, there's two sides to that as far as people going off into paganism. Is one, God is letting that happen. Why is God not bringing everyone into the tent of meeting or in front of it and giving them leprosy or spitting in their face? Because that would be easy. Now, that will be what it will be like in the millennium, I believe. When Jesus is ruling with an iron, ruling with a staff, uh, a staff of iron, an iron scepter, uh, and dashing them to pieces like pottery, rebellion will be dealt with just like this in the kingdom age. But in this age right here, that parable makes it very clear. God is, in a sense, tolerant. He's not saying it's right, but he's letting, it, letting them grow together. We need to continue to grow as wheat, realizing that the weeds are growing. And when you start coming over here and trying to, uh, here, be careful, come over here and cut down the weeds, uh, that's not your job. Your job is to, in a sense, convert the wheat. Convert the wheat to weeds. But with that, that's, Jesus appeared to be very patient with coexisting. Um, I'm going to read in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 through 5. Again, that does not mean we should not proclaim truth, proclaim light, and call out wickedness and identify that's darkness, but you're not going you, to be able to get rid of it. Chapter 7, the famous verse, Jesus says this, chapter 7, verse 1, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So the punishment you inflict, that's the punishment that's coming your way. Why do you look 
at the speck of sawdust in your, in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank that is in your own eye. And again, I think that would be the case. It's easy, it's easy right now to look at culture and see certain situ- situations in culture and say, ah, that's wrong, look, that's terrible. But it says, Jesus, let's focus more on what's wrong with you. What is wrong with you? Because you are part of this human race. There's something wrong that we need to be improving on. That doesn't say we're, we're ignoring it or accepting it. It's like, don't focus on that. Uh, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take out the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Uh, now, with that being said, I want to go to, uh, boy, I want to hustle here, go to uh, point seven, judging and discerning, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15. I've got five minutes, and I want to read a bunch of verses right here. And the idea here is you cannot hide under the blanket of, I don't want to be judgmental. I don't want to judge. I don't want to be, uh, I don't want to be you know, taking out the speck out of my brother's eye. And I just want to live in, 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 in uh, acceptance of all. We're going to be tolerant because Jesus has placed evil around us. We have to be tolerant uh, in the sense that you're not going to be able to weed it out. What are you going to do? Execute everyone that doesn't follow Christ? Even Christ isn't doing that. Um, but at the same time, you have to be discerning. Chapter uh, 2, verse 15, uh, Paul is writing here. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15. Um, the man without the Spirit, oh, this would be good to hear. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them. So that's why the, the people in the world, they don't understand. Because they are spiritually discerned, these truths. The spiritual man, watch this, but you, if you're spiritual, doesn't mean like spooky like a ghost, but that means like mature, you understand the truth. The man who understands the word of God, who is mature, the spiritual man makes judgments about all things. There's your word, judgments. He makes, as a spiritual man, walking in the light, I am making judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. Meaning, now you should judge me, but the idea there is if I'm a spiritual man walking in the light of God, the world say, well, that guy doesn't, and they're judging me from this perspective. It's like, no, there's no natural. God is saying, I'm not accepting any of the natural man's judgment of the spiritual man who's walking in the light. But the spiritual man is making judgments about all things because he's got to discern, yeah, I'm not going to do that. I'm going this way. Uh, Choices. No, yes. You've got to discern. You can't just say, whatever comes, I'll do it. You're going to have to. It's going to come down from personal choices, choices your friends make, choices your churches make, things your Bible teacher says. You're going to have to judge everything, and eventually it's going to come down to the government. There's going to be laws. You're going to have a law, eventually, that's going to say, you have to do this, and the spiritual man is going to say, no, I've got to do this. They have no judgment on the spiritual man, but the spiritual man will judge that and make the choice. Now, there may be consequences. The early church, uh, many of, well, the apostles, they all suffered. Most of them died because they made a judgment. I'm not doing it that way. I'm going to do this. You, have, you, that you can judge and kill them, but you have no authority on it. So there the spiritual man makes judgments on all things. Uh, that is chapter 2, verse 5, 14 and 15. Notice right there, you had... Right there you had the natural man, ready? This is interesting. Natural man, and that would be the unsaved pagan man. You've got the spiritual man, and that would be, I'm going to just write mature, or he's maturing, he's in Christ. That doesn't mean spooky, speaking in tongues, having visions, and floating around the room. That means I know the word of God. I can see situations. I can discern and decide what's right. So you are judging all things on your own decision. Now go to chapter 3, verse 1. Chapter 3, verse 1. Brothers, he's writing the Corinthians. I could not address you as spiritual. He says, I wanted to address you as spiritual, but I can't address you as spiritual because you're not mature. You've rejected the truth. 
I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. So now we're going to have infants in Christ, and we're going to have worldly. Two groups. So you have, right here, four groups of people described in chapter 2 and chapter 3 of of 1 Corinthians. You've got the natural man. That's the unsaved man, made a law unto himself. He's over here living in the world. You're going to have the spiritual man who's now separated and is walking light, as James would have said, has uh, committed himself to God, uh, has, has resisted Satan, humbled himself before God, and is being transformed by the Word. He is mature and maturing, getting stronger. Then you're going to have infants in Christ. These are people who have just come to Christ. They're converts. There's a huge difference. There has to be. This person in the church, in the body of Christ, is not equal to this person. Oh, yes, they're saved in Christ. They have salvation. They are eternal. They have eternal life. They're they're part of the body of Christ, but they don't know anything. This infant still thinks like what? The natural man. He's got to renew his mind. He's got to begin the process of becoming spiritual. To not admit that is foolishness. This person, you, they come in, they smile, they put on a suit, they know how to talk. It's like, no, no, they're, they're, they're a good businessman. They're a good politician. They're, they're good socially. Well, they look so mature. No, they look nice. They don't know anything. Yes, but they're so polite. Holy smokes, Jesus turned the tables over at church or the temple. It's like he wasn't very polite. He called the leaders snakes and vipers. Well, he wasn't very Christ-like. This person would never do that. Look how polite they are. Okay, you're, you're judging things like the, you've made this standard. of. So this person right here, an infant in Christ, says, I could not address, Paul is saying, he's writing to the Christians in Corinth, I could not talk to you like this because, whoo, whoo, because you're thinking like this because you're an infant in Christ and worldly, this would be fleshly. This would be wrapped up in sin. Infants in Christ would be, they're ignorant. They've just got saved. They don't, haven't had their minds renewed. The worldly could be the infant in Christ or it could be a person that's been born again for a while but is living in the world, in the fleshly desires. They're wrapped up in sin. You're a believer, but you're not spiritual, meaning mature. Spiritual does not mean goofy. It means mature, solid. You can discern all things. You're wrapped up in the sin. Infant, you're still born, you just got born again. You're, you haven't matured yet. So there's three groups of people that Paul addresses right there. And uh, boy, we got several different verses there to look through, including, and I've got to quit. You go to, you go to 1 Timothy, there's a list of elders. If you're going to be an elder in the church, there's a list of qualifications, meaning that person is going to be judged. You say, I want to be an elder. Well, these are the requirements of our elder. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I want to be a Christian elder. I don't want anyone to judge me. Where are you getting that from? Well, Jesus says, do not judge lest thou be judged. So just let me be an elder. That's not what Timothy, or Paul wrote Timothy and Titus. Here's the list. This is what you've got to do. You have to have these things. You have to be circling this area of the spiritual man. It's like, well, you're judging me. Yeah, yeah, we, we're judging you. I mean, so we got several verses right there. Uh, in fact, I'll end with this since we're in James. James chapter 5, verse 20, and I'm quitting. James chapter 5, verse 20. Um, chapter 5, verse 20. The book ends like this. I remember talking about a judging, discerning. James ends the book like this. Verse 19. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back. So someone's wandered from, whoa, 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 how do you know they wander from the truth? Uh, I'm judging them. They're, I've discerned. They're not doing what's right. They've got bad doctrine. They've got bad lifestyle. What are you going to do? Well, I'm going to go bring them back. Whoa, sounds like you're judging. Well, no, they're leading their lives to destruction. We can't judge. Well, James saying, if you do go and you judge them and you see them in the wrong path and you bring them back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the air of his ways will save him from death and cover over a multitudes of sins. So in other words, only the Lord can save and destroy. 
and the Lord sits as the judge with the law and judges all. But as one who's a doer of the law, who understands the truth and walks in light, you can see someone that's in danger, and you can evaluate, go over there and save, save. Now, listen, you can't save them, but you can definitely get them off the path of destruction and on the path. And right here, there's only one lawgiver and judge there's, who can save and destroy. But you can, remember this, uh, whoever turns a sinner from the air of his ways will save him from death. You didn't save him, the Lord's in, but you saved him from going the path of destruction. So the Lord is over the top, but as a doer of the law, one of the things we do is save people. Don't go that way and bring them back. It looks a lot like being judgmental, but it looks a lot like being a lifeguard also. It's like, what, are you judging that child? He doesn't look like he can swim. It's like, it looks like he's dry. I, hey, I don't want to be judgmental. Everyone finds air their own way. Maybe he can breathe underwater. We all swim our own way. I think he's dying. Ho, 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 I don't want to be judgmental here. Everyone's fine. Have a good time. Just turn the music up. Uh, that's not how lifeguards function, and neither should Christians. There's a place of slandering. There's a place of being discerning and saving the sinner, including yourself, from God's wrath. I'll pray, and we're done. Father, we do thank you for the chance to look into your word. We do ask that we would be judgmental of our own selves, but also able to discern truth and be able to help others find the way of truth in, in, in your way, not in our own ways. Again, we do thank you for the chance to be alive at this time in history and ask that you'd help our lives reach their fullest potential. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for your time.